0: The crimes, the criminals. Why did they do it? Who got hurt? Did they meet justice or commit the perfect crime? You will find all the clues at Jim Harold's crime scene. Welcome to the crime scene. I am Jim Harold and so glad to be with you once again. Now, one strains to find anything more difficult to talk about than the murder of a child. What a horrible, horrible thing. Compound that, <laughs> with wrongful convictions in the death of that child. And you really have a very, very sad tale. And that is the tale of the recent book, She's So Cold, Murder, Accusations, and the System that Devastated a Family. And our guest today is the author of that book, Donald E. McGinnis. He is a California criminal defense attorney, and he represented one of the three accused boys in the case we're going to talk about, Aaron Hauser in the stephanie crow murder case over the span of his 40 year legal career mr mcginnis has worked alternately for the prosecution and for the defense having served as a deputy district attorney for two california counties and as a deputy public defender for one california county during his early professional years for more information you can visit his website at DonaldMcGuinness.com. donald mcginnis thank you for joining us today on the program Thank you, Jim. So um, maybe for people who are not familiar with this case, I mean, it, it truly is a very sad tale. Can you kind of tell us uh, the events that led to all of this going back to January of 1998?
1: Yes, the Crow family had a uh, rural home up in uh Slightly north of Escondido, the city of Escondido, which is a uh, community uh, not far from the Pacific Ocean. And uh, they had uh, three children. Shannon was the youngest. Stephanie uh, was the second youngest. And the oldest was uh, Michael Crow. Stephanie was found stabbed, brutally stabbed to death uh, in her bedroom. It was a very bloody uh, and terrible scene. Um, The police could find no physical evidence as to who would have committed the crime. There was no physical evidence tying the older brother, Michael, to it. At first they thought that Stephen, the father, was the likely suspect because she was entering uh, puberty. And they, they thought that maybe something went wrong uh, as he was making sexual advances, but his grief was so overwhelming and his guilt of not being able to protect her and prevent her from being killed that they didn't know who to go after. One of the police officers that happened to be sitting with the family while the police investigation was going on at the house, went later and talked to uh, Detective Clater. Uh, and told him that he felt that uh, Michael, the oldest brother was not grieving sufficiently oh, and wow. based on that they began to look at him and from there they they did an interrogation and got him to give what the prosecution and what the police felt was a confession that he had stabbed to death the child
0: and uh, in terms of The accusations. He wasn't the only one accused, though. Is that correct?
1: No. Uh, As time went on during the interrogation of Michael, which lasted many, many hours, uh, he mentioned two other people that he was very close to. One was Joshua Treadway. He was a 14 year old freshman, as Michael was a freshman in high school. And then a third freshman friend, which was Aaron Hauser. And because the boys were So close together, uh, they became suspicious that Michael couldn't have done this on his own, that he would have needed uh, at least lookouts or uh, someone else to help plan it. Because the ability to kill someone with a knife is very brutal and upfront, very personable. But it leaves all sorts of evidence, evidence not only at the murder scene itself, but all over the people that commit the crime. So they felt that it was a sophisticated crime committed in a way that uh, Michael would have needed help to do this uh, to carry out. So they then uh, interviewed uh, Josh Treadway, which went for nearly uh, 12 hours, and got him broken, him, got him to uh, admit that uh, Michael did have a co-conspirators that it was Aaron Hauser. And Joshua Treadway uh, acted as the lookout, and from there they went after all three boys.
0: Now, I think it bears pointing out, when uh, an underage child is approached about suspicion of a crime or being questioned, they, if I understand correctly, they don't have the same rights as an adult. Is—is is, I mean, they're not given by the law Miranda rights and those kind of things, are they?
1: Actually, in California, uh, they are treated as an adult, are given the standard Miranda rights. But scientific evidence has shown that children just don't understand the Miranda Uh rights. In fact, uh, there has been recent studies where the uh, sociological uh, testers and psychiatrists are included in this and neuroscientists come to the conclusion that it may be totally beyond the comprehension abilities of children to understand their rights. As a consequence, only 10% of children between the ages of 12 and 17 will invoke their Miranda rights when read to them, where uh, adults, 40% of the adults involved, uh, will invoke their Miranda rights. Children are brought up in a society in which They are continually responding to and doing what adults tell them to do. As a consequence, they just are not equipped to independently think. The brain is not developed sufficiently. The prefrontal cortex is not developed. They may be smart. They may be intelligent when it comes to learning things, but not making independent decisions. So as a consequence, yes, they are required to be read to Miranda rights, but in this particular case, the cops were very, very uh, sophisticated in their approaches. They did not read Josh Treadway, his Miranda Wrights, uh, for the long period of interrogation. They then sent him home and said he could go home and they would talk to him at a later time. A couple of days later, they brought him back, asked him if he was gonna change his story at all, Of course, he wasn't going to change his story. He said, no, uh, what I told you is what you wanted to hear. And then they Mirandized him and took his statement. And the courts ruled that the first two statements by Joshua Treadway could not come into evidence. But the third one could. And they pointed to the fact that the child was able to go home get out of the pressures of being interrogated to be with his family. And as a consequence, the later confession, after he had already uh, undergone uh, 12 hours of, of interrogation, that he was able to give an intelligent waiver of his rights and confess. So the in California, as in almost all states, children are read their Miranda rights and they are read them in the same manner and format that adults would be.
0: So I want to get to the idea, because I think you have the notion of a children's uh, set of Miranda rights that, that they could comprehend. I want to get to that eventually, but to me, the when a when a child is questioned by police, they're an authority figure. I mean, many families uh, will say, hey, you know, the cops are on our side. They're going to do the right thing. I mean, personally, I'm very pro-law enforcement, but <laughs> I, I know that, You know, it's like any other walk of life. You may not get somebody on the straight or narrow, or you may just have a law enforcement officer who has made an error in judgment and thinks that this person did it. So the, the, you know, they've kind of got their mind made up. So I, I don't think that that law enforcement officers are saints by any means or perfect. And the thing is, is that, I mean, I'm the kind of person, somebody accused me of something. I want to hold my hand up and said, no, I didn't do it because of a, B and C. But the thing is, is that that might not be legally the smartest thing to do because you really have to be thoughtful in what you say and 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 you need a lawyer and you should be measured in these responses but in the heat of the moment you want to say well no i didn't do it because of x y and z i think that would only be amplified with a child and particularly if you know you have parents encourage them hey talk to the police they're they'll do the right thing am, am i onto something there
1: Yes, in fact that's exactly uh what happened. Uh, Michael Treadway, that's the father of Joshua Treadway, was called into the police department, said that uh, Mike, uh that Joshua was involved and had been manipulated by two other 14-year-old boys, and as a consequence they wanted uh, the dad to tell the son to cooperate. What is uh, interesting about Michael Uh, Treadway, The father is that he was a locksmith and he was also used by the police departments to board up and lock up homes that had been uh, kicked in during raids or search warrants. So as a consequence, he felt the police would never lie to him, just as you said that we have this faith in the police. And so he told his son, "You, you tell the cops what they want to hear. You, you cooperate with them, even though he was hanging on to his, his father, crying uncontrollably, saying that he didn't do it, he didn't do it, he had nothing to do with killing Stephanie. But there is something that you said that it goes to the heart of police investigation, and that was the word accusatory, to accuse, and that is the function of the police, it's called the American System of Accusatory Interrogation. It starts off with a suspect based upon an assumption or evidence that has been committed by an individual. That is the person of interest or the suspect. So once that occurs, then the suspect is interviewed. But it's a very accusatory form of interrogation based upon the read technique of interrogation. Re-technique is a psychological form of questioning where there are closed-ended statements and made by the interrogator against the person that's being questioned. And every time that the person being questioned denies that they had anything to do with it, they are shut down and told the evidence shows otherwise. Why do you continue to lie? And as a consequence, by the time hours pass, the person being interrogated feels that all the evidence points to them because the police have told him that that is so. They have even lied to him about the status of the evidence, saying that blood evidence indicates that you did it. Witnesses indicate that you have done it. Your co-conspirators have said that you have done it. And the system is built in such a way that you should admit earlier crime because the courts will take that into consideration. So yes, the confession is the most powerful form of evidence, except for when the accused is alive and can point the finger. But the way the system is set up, it is one of accusation. Followed by psychological manipulation that very few adults, much less children, can resist. No. Nope, nope. So what you had, Go ahead. So, so what you had in this case is three forms of the execution of that psychological interrogation. The re technique was all through this book uh, when it came to how the boys were questioned.
0: Now uh, and I, I feel extremely naive here, but is that done in the spirit uh, and you can speak to this case or in general, because the police really think they have the right person. It's like, Hey, and ends to means whatever we got to do to get it out of him or her, they did it. Is that usually the scenario you're looking at? Or is it just, we want to nail this to anybody we can to move on to the next one?
1: Oh no, I, I believe that, uh, at heart. The police department want to uh, get the person that committed the crime. They want to uh, fill the evidence that proves that the person did it. But when you have no physical evidence, when all you have is the confessions, then you have to be suspect. And uh, just like in the Central Park Five, which occurred 10 years prior to the Crow case, the uh, young black boys that were uh, interrogated by the police, again, using the Reed technique of interrogation and claiming that the evidence, all the evidence showed that they were involved in it when there was no physical evidence connecting any of the boys to the murder of the jogger. I mean, not the murder, but the rape and brutal beating of the jogger. So the bottom line to it is, The police have the highest motives, I believe, because I've been with them. I've investigated cases at the scene with them. And I can tell you that they want to get the person that did it. The problem is every person that they talk to is a suspect. And suspects are all treated the same. They are accused of different aspects of the crime In their minds, that's the mentality of the police. They're always asking questions that point to the suspect being the one that did the crime. And that continues all the way through the interrogation process. And when you have no physical evidence, you get the confession one way or the other.
0: Well, it reminds me that old saw uh, when, you know, you ask somebody, when did you stop beating your wife? Well, <laughs> there's a presumption of guilt in that question. It's, it's kind of what it sounds a little bit like, me, like to me. Um, so one would hope, let's say that at the head end of a case, that mistakes are made um, and there is something like a false confession uh, uh, elicited uh, through these techniques and through the stress on the person, let alone a child, as you said, um, you would hope that there's a system of checks and balances. Uh, in this kind of a case, it sounds like, at least in, in these cases, there, there wasn't.
1: Yeah, Correct. And here's, the, here's what that check and balance is that you're talking about. It is called the district attorney's office or the federal prosecutors or the uh, state attorney general uh, office. These are college educated individuals trained in the law who have uh, all the experience in the world of having to take these cases to trial and prove them. What happened in the Crow murder case? is that the district attorney's office was actually present through Mr. Hoover, Deputy D.A. Hoover, during the interrogation of one or more of these boys, and was telling the police how they could operate. How else would they send Josh Treadway home and let the period of influence of the interrogation cool off if they didn't have an attorney telling them how to do it? And here's the flaw. Whenever the prosecutorial office gets personally involved in the investigation of the case itself or directs how the investigation is to proceed, then you lose that check and balance of the civil authority over a, a quasi or para, a paramilitary unit, which is your police department that has a command authority from the police chief down. And in the Crow murder case, that's exactly what happened. In the Central Part Five, that is exactly what happened. The main uh, prosecutor for the Brooklyn District Attorney's Office was at the crime scene, was intimately involved in the case. Even though she had another prosecutor telling her, this is a bad case, the confessions are bad. And still, it went ahead.
0: Now, um, two questions: How often do you think that that happens? I mean, is it is it the exception to the rule or the rule in 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 practice? Not in not in some idealistic world that we learn in a law school, but in practice, do you think that the DA, in most cases, is keeping a healthy arm's length, or do you think they're too involved in general?
1: Well, there's been a trend trend over the last thirty to 40 years, mainly 30 years, uh, in which special units are formed within the prosecutorial office, sex crimes, gang units, things like this. And in those situations, the uh, district attorney's office and the deputies that make up those special units are very much involved in the investigation, which makes it very difficult for those deputy DAs. To keep that impartial buffer. Uh, It it produces great results when it comes to crime suppression and conviction rates are high. But at the same time, we have to look at those cases where there is no physical evidence, when all you have is a confession and you have to really scrutinize those cases. And there are many, uh, for instance, gang units within the district attorney's office in the California, which is where my experience is all centered, uh, they have intelligence like you wouldn't believe. And so many times they know that the person did it because they had an undercover officer that they cannot reveal his presence, tell them about it. They have a confession. So therefore they proceed ahead with the confession or they beat the confession out of him psychologically. And because they, think they have the right person to begin with. So that buffer is lost many times. Most of the times, and most crimes, even a serious felony crimes, such as bank robberies in which someone is shot, uh, the, the district attorney's office says, I need more evidence. And they reject the case and tell the, the police department to go get it. Go get more evidence. Prove the crime to me, then I can prove it to the jury.
0: A couple of things. Uh, I want to get back to the interrogation piece, but as part of the problem, I'm assuming, I don't know this for a fact, you'll know this, are district attorneys uh, basically judged by number of skins on a wall. Uh, you know, it's just like a tally mark. And the more convictions you have, the better you proceed through your career. Is it is it that simplistic that the, that could be one of the main causal factors of this?
1: Well, it's not like there's a policy within the office of the district attorney that says uh, we're counting your conviction rates, but your ability to move up from a misdemeanor division to a felony division is judged by your ability to get convictions. More importantly, there is tremendous pressure that is self-imposed by a young prosecutor, just as there is tremendous pressure that is self-imposed on a public defender uh, to be successful and to get a prosecutional conviction or acquittal if you're on the defense. So you have a lot of self-imposed pressure taking place as opposed to a policy that is being directed from the top.
0: And then uh, speaking of pressure, I want to ask this one question. Then when I get back to this particular case, Uh, I've heard a lot of people say, well, if they confess to it, they must've done it because there's no way that I would ever, uh, I would ever confess to something I didn't do. I would never say I murdered someone if I didn't do it. So The actual existence of the confession is 100% proof positive that somebody did something. I think that's a very common belief among a large percentage of the populace. I'm assuming you would disagree with that. And if so, why?
1: Actually, I agree with you 100%. It is the most powerful evidence when the accused says, I did it. There is no greater evidence. Um, To put it this way, uh, in the Crow case, we had to not only show that the boys were factually innocent, meaning that there was no evidence connecting them. We also had to somehow convince a jury, 12 citizens, that these boys would have never... Uh, confessed if they hadn't been involved in the death of Stephanie. And that is the hardest thing in the world to do. We had on our side as defense attorneys, the video interrogations themselves. And because of that, we could show the terrible interrogation that was Uh, unleashed against these boys the psychological manipulation we could even show how each boy said what they said because the the fact had been mentioned prior by the investigating officer but you're asking us to push all this water uphill with a sieve and if if this case had gone to trial And it didn't go to trial because DNA evidence found a vagrant blood of Stephanie on the clothing of a vagrant, mentally disturbed young man. We would have had a hard time uh, getting an acquittal for these boys. I hope I answered your question. Yes, yes, yes.
0: Well, I, I just think, you know, again, generally when I see somebody's convinced, I think, oh, they did it. But... You do have to keep in mind that, uh, you know, uh, I don't think that the police play nice during these interrogations. And they've got to be, you know, very, very intense. And at some point, someone might say, especially if they're not, as you said, fully psychologically developed, if they're younger, they might just say, hey, I'll say anything you want. Just let me go. I can't take another minute of this. I got to believe that happens, too.
1: Yes, and and it happens uh, with adults in the following uh, manner. Not only do the police uh, lie to you, and it's allowed by law for them to lie to you about the evidence and what the evidence indicates, but many times they will utilize a lie detector test. Or in the case of the Crow Boys, the three boys, they use what's called a CVSA computer voice stress analyzer, and they continually told. Uh, the boys, every time they took the test, that the test indicated that they were lying, and that to the question of "Did you kill Stephanie Crow?" you showed that you did. Then, as in with adults, remember they, there is no difference in how the law looks at a juvenile because adult law is applied to the juvenile. Once that child is certified to adult court, then what happens is this. The police then say, if you confess early, that will be taken into consideration. And, in fact, they become buddies. The police, at least one of them, will become the best friend of the young uh, juvenile and say, look, I'll even go to the DA and say that you cooperated. And it may affect how the DA charges you. I can't say that, he, that the DA will show leniency. I can't tell you that because they have their own rules. But the more you look cooperative, the more you indicate your your uh, guilt early, the better it is for you. That's how the system is set up. So there is every excuse possible that is given for the for the young child to confess, and for the adult to confess in the in the uh, case of the uh, Central Park five, there were sixteen some odd defendants that were arrested. Of those, about ten of them pled to a lesser charge, meaning they Confess to crimes that were committed because they were getting lesser offenses, lesser charges, and penalties. So it is a very difficult system when you uh, are faced with the entire weight of the state prosecuting.
0: Now, in this case, you mentioned it here. Um, There was DNA uh, result or testing done uh, that that found drops of blood of another suspect and this is what essentially saved these these young men now the thing that i wonder when i hear that three drops of blood how many cases have there been over the years where there weren't three drops of blood found and how many people and again i am a staunch defender of law enforcement and i think a lot of times especially today they get a bad rap but I do wonder how many people have gone to prison because there was no three drops of blood for them or something commiserate.
1: Well, the the numbers are uh, very depressing. The innocent projects that exist throughout the country uh, continually uh, get the release of an individual because later on, DNA evidence proved they were not the rapists or they were not at the crime scene. Uh, DNA evidence uh, showed that another person was there and did it, uh, or a person, as in the case of the Central Park Five, confessed that he indeed raped the woman, beat her nearly to death, and then when they took his DNA sample, it did match the DNA evidence at the rape scene. So, yes... Uh, A lot of innocent people go to jail and at their own words, either through confession or uh, when they are pleading uh, to a lesser charge, they admit to that lesser charge. But the system is imperfect, but it is the best system that I have seen, and I have studied international uh, law in Europe comparative law and it still is one of the best systems in the world
0: yeah and as humans perfection unfortunately is uh, impossible to to achieve we can just do the try to do the best we can i i think and make go to every effort to to be fair uh to those those accused now uh I won't go any further into what was found other than these, these three young men were exonerated and I, I think there was a hefty financial settlement uh, involved in all this. And folks can check out the book to find out who done it. Uh, but the, the, the thing is, is that I want to come back to that question of changing the law in such a way to prevent something like this by way of a Miranda rights for children. Give us your thoughts on that.
1: Well, if we have children who are mentally uh, not developed in regards to their ability to understand the rights that are read to them and to understand the consequences that can happen to them if they waive their rights and talk to the police, then we need to ha- have an adult injected into the process itself whenever the child is being questioned by the authorities. And the children's Miranda rights, the modified version that I have suggested as a form of legislation and a solution to cases like the Crow murder case or the Central part Five is that the uh, parents are the guardian of those children be involved in the interrogation as soon as possible. So you have what is taking place there, an adult mind that knows more than what the child would know. So in my Miranda rights, the child is continually reminded that they have a right to have their parents present and they have a right to talk to their parents about uh, what is taking place. And they have a right uh, to have an attorney present Which is an adult decision to make because the parents have to pay for the attorney or they get a public defender. That is how I try to solve the inability of children to understand the Miranda rights and what happens to them if they waive those rights. I also have what is called a children's bill of rights, in which children cannot waive their rights even with the help of their parents if they are under 14 years of age are under. They need to have the concurrence of an attorney present, which means that the police cannot interrogate the child until there is a public defender or a private attorney that's been retained by the family. And I also uh, uh, state that the interrogation must be videotaped and that tape must be preserved because they can come back, the prosecution can come back years later and prosecute you uh, for a crime such as rape or murder uh, based upon your confession as a juvenile. So those, those tapes have to be preserved so that there is no uh, evidence that is washed away except for the written confession that the accused makes. That's how I'm trying to solve the problem of this vulnerable segment of our society that is children when they are interrogated their whole lives can be changed in a matter of hours and we need to have that protection
0: and i won't go into specifics so people will get the book and read it but really there really was no resolution in this case as i understand it no final final resolution other than those young men uh uh, have been exonerated, um, and that's that's a tragic thing because coming back to the victim, a young twelve-year-old uh, girl, how how sad? How has the how has the family gone on? I mean, it, it's had to be a horrible, horrible thing.
1: Well, uh, when Summer Steffen, who was the deputy DA that prosecuted the case, um, she did that under the auspices of the district attorney Paul Finkes. And and there's an interesting section in the book that uh, the the readers would be interested in reading because Paul thinks, actually talked to my clients. But more importantly, as this case became known publicly and the press persisted and people like yourself who investigate these things and report the events and the facts surrounding these events uh, to the public, the public became very ups, uh, upset and they voted Paul thinks out of office and a new judge, a new uh, deputy, a new district attorney uh, was elected and that was a judge named Duhump Dumanis. And uh, later after she served two several terms, uh, she then uh, resigned and uh, Summer Steffen, the prosecutor in the case against the three boys was appointed by the, the County Board of Supervisors to be the acting deputy and acting district attorney. She then stood for office. And to show you that these cases never, never die, Sheryl Crow, the mother of Stephanie and the mother of Michael, flew down and campaigned against Summer Stephens. Regrettably, it did not uh, work. Summer Steffens was elected a district attorney and is now serving her term. But these families never find resolution, never find closure when the police don't do a good investigation, as in the Crow murder case. Because there was never really anybody uh, that could be held up as being the killer in this case.
0: Extremely, extremely sad story, but I think it's very important to know about the failures of the criminal justice system as well as the successes. And such a case, a failure of the criminal justice system is detailed in She's So Cold, murder accusations in the system that devastated a family. Our guest has been Donald E. McGinnis. Donald, where can people find the book and more information about your work?
1: Uh, they can go, uh, to my website, uh, Uh, they can order it through there. They can order it through Amazon. It's in, um, uh, all the major sources for ordering books. And, um, I think they'll find it quite compelling. I do warn any reader that it is shocking and hard to read what happened to those boys and you'll have to put the book down, but you as uh, many people have said, uh, you pick it back up just to see how it all comes out. And it, uh, it, is, it is a true fact of life that this system of ours, though great, does have its flaws. And the Crow murder case points many of those flaws out.
0: Donald, thank you for joining us today.
1: It's my pleasure. And uh, thank you for the call, Jim.
0: And thank you for tuning in to the crime scene. And unfortunately, sometimes in these cases, there are no happy endings. Be careful out there. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye, everybody.